Well, good morning. <clears throat> My name is Dwayne, and welcome to Directional Bible Ministries for July the 23rd. God bless you guys. Hope that you're, you're, uh, you have a great day. Uh, today we're going to pick up in Acts chapter number 13, Acts chapter number 13, verse number 13. We've been working our way through this chapter for a couple of days now. Acts 13, 13. Let's go ahead and <clears throat> get the scripture pulled up here. Now, when Paul and his company loose from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned <clears throat> to Jerusalem. Now, when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, this seemingly insignificant <clears throat> verse would set up a dispute later um, between Barnabas and Paul. Um, excuse me, I... Um, because Paul, when he headed out later, uh, Barnabas would suggest that he take John Mark with him. You'll see in Acts chapter 15, <clears throat> and some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark, but Paul thought it not good to take them him with them who departed from them in Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from the other, and Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. So, anyway, just this verse seems insignificant, but it's going to come back around when we get over into chapter number 15. And it's going to be the source of contention between Paul and Barnabas. Uh, now, like I mentioned last time, some will point to the fact that Barnabas disappeared from the scene right after that dispute in Acts chapter number 15. And that's, quote, proof that Paul would, that Paul shouldn't have contended with, that Barnabas should not have contended with Paul. But that's speculation. Um, we're not sure why John Mark left and returned to Jerusalem, but we do know that for whatever reason it was, it was not justifiable to Paul, uh, because that will become abundantly clear when we get over into Acts chapter number 15. Now, <clears throat> notice also, Paphos was the capital of Syria. Perga was on the coast of modern-day southern Turkey. So the entire area is what we call, or used to be called, Asia Minor, uh, which is, <clears throat> from what I can tell, where all the churches were that Paul started and ministered to were located. When you get over into the book of Revelation and you read the seven churches, they are known as the seven churches of Asia Minor. Um, um, Nicolasi was in Asia Minor, Galatia was in Asia, Asia Minor. So all of these churches that Paul founded here on this first missionary journey as they are sent out, um, later on he's going to go back and try to and visit and encourage these churches, and that, of course, is where the dispute happened between him and Barnabas over John Mark. Now notice in verse number 14, but when they were departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went down into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up, beckoning with his hand, men of Israel, 
and ye that fear God give audience. Now, <clears throat> Antioch of Pisidia is not the same Antioch as where they came from. This is different. Um, and we will find um, Paul uh, moving forward that Paul always went to the synagogue first when he entered into any city. And of course, he had such a heart for the Jewish people. Uh, in Romans 9, 3, for example, For I could wish that I myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. So Paul had a great heart for the Jewish people. And whenever he came into a city, he always entered the synagogue first. Um, now, <clears throat> notice um, in, it, it says, Paul says, men of Israel and ye that fear God give audience. Now, it's apparent that Paul is addressing two different people groups here. I stated yesterday in my study that initially I thought the synagogue was like the temple and that the Gentiles could not enter into them. Um, but obviously, as you study, um, I found many verses that indicates that Gentiles were in the synagogues. And here Paul says, men of Israel and ye that fear God. So obviously the ones that fear God are not the men of Israel. And he says, give audience. It's apparent that there were both Jew and Gentile in the synagogue. Um, also, there's some verses um, in Acts um, 13.42, <clears throat> as we get down into the book of Acts in chapter 13. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. So that means there were Gentiles that heard what he had to say and wanted him to preach them to them again the next Sabbath. In Acts 14, 1, And it came to pass in Iconium that as they went together into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of Jews and also Greeks, believed. Okay, so, and, and I looked up that word Greeks there. It's Hellene. It's not referring to Hellen Hellenists. It's not just Greek-speaking Jews. They're Gentiles. Uh, they're non-Jewish. In uh, Acts 17, 1-4, And when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was the synagogue of the Jews. And as Paul, as his manner was, went into them, and three Sabbaths reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. Obviously, that is the gospel of grace there. Um and that this Jesus whom I preached unto you is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas and the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and the chief women, not a few. So obviously there is verse after verse after verse that shows that Gentiles were in these synagogues. So this is where Paul went. Uh, I think primarily it, it was because of his love for his brethren. But also, secondarily, he just knew that's where every spiritually-minded person was going to be. Uh, those Gentiles that were there were obviously interested. They were obviously seeking, if you will, the God of Israel. So it was easy pickings. I mean, just go where the fish are, and that's what the Apostle Paul was doing. So obviously, while they were not allowed into the temple, uh, they, but they were only allowed as far as the court of the Gentiles. 
they were allowed into the synagogues. Now notice verse number 17. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt and with a high arm brought them out of it. So now he's going to rehearse Israel's history here. Um, and about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. So he's talking about uh, their journey from Egypt to the, to the promised land. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. Now the seven nations are mentioned in Deuteronomy 7 and verse number 11. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than thou. So Paul is beginning to, re to rehearse Israel's history in the, in the hearing of the people. And then in verse 20, and after that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel, the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised unto him David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill my will. So Paul still rehearsing Israel's history. Of course, he's, he's going to get to Jesus. That's where he's going. Uh, Paul emphasizes David because through David would come the Messiah who would deliver the nation. So this is why he's rehearsing the history here. Um, <clears throat> and then verse 23, And of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. So that's the point. He's, he's trying to get to Jesus here. And as we're going to see, Paul is going to preach for the first time the grace gospel. And and then verse number 24, And when John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. So it, it must be understood that the Savior that John preached, John the Baptist preached, Jesus preached, the twelve preached, was exclusively a Savior for the house of Israel. The Gentile was in the periphery, if you will, I mean, the Old Testament prophesied that the Gentiles would be reached by the nation itself. But the nation itself had to be restored first. The nation itself had to accept the king and his kingdom first before they would be used to reach the Gentile nations. We established that when we first began our study through the book of Acts. So the, the Jesus, the the, the Savior that John preached was a Savior exclusively for the nation of Israel through which he would use to reach the world. That was plan A. The baptism of repentance that he refers to here was for the nation of Israel only. We today do not partake in this baptism. 
we do not partake in the baptism of repentance. The kingdom gospel was repent, be baptized, for the kingdom of heaven is nigh. So repentance and baptism. This was a baptism of repentance. It was required. It was, you had to receive it in order to to show that you had repented and been baptized and you had accepted the, the kingdom message that was being proclaimed by John, by Jesus, and by the Twelve, and initially by Paul. So it was for the nation of Israel only. We today do not partake in this baptism. Anyone who teaches that baptism, any kind of baptism for that matter, is necessary today for salvation is conflating the kingdom gospel with the grace gospel, and they are teaching a works salvation. Uh, in First Chronicles chapter number 17, I mean chapter number 1, 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, 17, for Christ sent me not to baptize. So if baptism is so important, then why is the apostle Paul saying Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel not with the wisdom of the world, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Paul taught the cross. The apostles simply taught Christ. And he says, For the preaching of the cross is to them um, that perish foolishness, but unto us which are being saved it is the power of God. Paul did not preach baptism. The apostles did, Jesus did, John the Baptist did, but Paul didn't. And that's why I get so, um, I guess, frustrated that people just can't see that the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace are two different gospels. They don't weave and become one. They're two different gospels. One is for the nation of Israel exclusively, and one is for the body of Christ, the church made up of Jew and Gentile today. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Baptism is works. Repentance is works. You got to repent to be saved. No, you don't. You have to believe to be saved. You got to be baptized to be saved. No, you don't. You have to believe to be saved. And I've pointed this out on, on numerous occasions. You do not get saved. How many, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had someone tell me, I ask them if they know the Lord, and they'll say, yeah, I, I, I went down to the altar when I was 10 years old. Understand, responding to an altar call does not save you. Okay, uh, Being emotionally moved on the fourth stanza of just as I am, does not save you. It's belief that saves you. And if it's belief that saves you, you were saved before the altar call even began. You were saved <laughs> before, you know, Miss Ethel hit the first note on the piano or the organ. Belief is how we are saved today. Uh, it's how... Um, it's simply placing our faith in Christ. Faith, belief, almost synonymous. That's how we're saved today. And we've made it complicated. 
Um, and maybe I've shared this story with you before, but years ago, Billy Graham, before he was died, would be, was being interviewed by Barbara Walters. And she asked him, if you had to do it again, what would you do differently? And he said, I would made it harder. And she said, what do you mean by that? And he, he explained how the altar calls at his crusades were really manipulative in some ways. And if you've ever been involved in a crusade, I've never been involved with one with Billy Graham, but I've been involved with others. Um, altar counselors are pre-trained to move at certain times during the altar call in order to encourage others to move. Again, it's, it's placing the emphasis of salvation on the altar call, which is wrong. The altar call was, is not in the Bible. Uh, the altar call was just something that was introduced, I believe, Second Great Awakening. It might have been the Wesleys or it might have been um, George Whitfield as a way to keep track of who responded. But understand, the salvation has, the, has already happened. It's by belief and belief only. Okay, it's not by baptism um, at all. If you teach that, and of course many do teach that today in the church, it's called baptismal regeneration, the belief that you have to be baptized to be saved. The reason that is taught is that because they are conflating the kingdom gospel with the grace gospel. Anyway, my time is up for today. I hope that you have an awesome day. And uh, I'll be back here tomorrow uh, at 8 a.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. And we will get down into verse number 25. God bless you.